0: Available wherever you get your podcast, welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. I am your host, Joshua Summer. If you're watching here on the YouTube channel, please click that subscribe button and the bell for continued notifications so that you get new content when we drop it or publish it. Today is a little bit of a surprise episode it's a, a, a bit of a bonus because this coming Thursday we have the interview with dr. James Renahan uh, dropping so that'll be the Thursday installment as you watch this this is Tuesday I'm recording on Monday June 26th um, so what I would like to talk about is actually usually let me let me start by by prefacing I don't I don't typically take uh, or I haven't for a while, at least. I've tried to get better at this. I try not to let things that are going on online drive the content of this channel or my pulpit ministry. I just I don't think that that's a a healthy thing to do. To let the outside world really influence what you do within your church or within your ministry more so than the Word of God itself influences you and what you do within those contexts. And so I, I typically try to stay away from letting or allowing the internet to to actually drive the kind of content that you see on this channel. However, sometimes there are very practical issues that arise that affect local churches directly, um, not just my local church, but local churches all over the country. And uh, and so I think it's, it's fruitful to engage with those kinds of things every once in a while in a charitable way, uh, but also in a biblical way and in an uncompromising way. And I think uh, there is a, a sort of influence now that is worth addressing on here that's largely internet-driven. It's an internet-driven phenomenon, um, but it's it's actually affecting where the rubber meets the road and where boots hit the ground within local churches, uh, like many things on the internet end up doing today because everybody's online and everybody's on social media. And part of the reason I have a social media presence is so that I can um, remain a voice uh, or at least bring my pulpit ministry to a realm of communication that just exists whether we like it or not and so I'd rather be here than not be here I figure that um, uh, those uh, at, at my local church uh, it, are going to be online and uh, you know I think it would be good if if they had you know an outlet from their own church uh, present online uh, but also it's it's always been kind of a helpful brainstorming activity for me I I I consider content. I think of content, um, and as I do, I, I I learn more, and so it's it's actually been helpful for me in a sort of um, in a sort of um, ministerial way. Uh, I've been able to kind of hone my own ideas um, through the process of I- engaging content on this channel. So, um, that being said, I, I I'm really I, I'm concerned about the fight by flight movement. And many of you who are online, which are which would describe many of you who listen to this podcast, um, probably know what I'm talking about when I refer to the fight by flight movement. There was a recent book authored by Joel Webin of Right Response Ministries called Fight by Flight. It's a really short book available on Amazon. Um, I have not read it, so can Confession on my part, uh, but I've I've I have the gist of the fight by flight movement because I've read articles, I've watched videos, I've listened to these guys describe what they mean by it, and so I think I have a pretty good grasp of at least the principle of of this movement. Though I've not read the very brief book, which probably just um, uh, outlines or or adds some perhaps more nuance to this position the position is nevertheless available uh, and articulated uh, online. And so you can find it on Right Response Ministries' website. There's a blog article that uh, Joel writes that outlines kind of the uh, the sentiment behind fight by flight. Um, and uh, there are several videos along those lines uh, that you can find online as well. So the idea here is... Uh, that in, and and this, is, this is kind of how, how Joel describes it in his blog article, which is, again, it's found on RightResponseMinistries.com. It's uh, the article titled, Fight or Flight, A Message to Christians in Hard Places. And the sentiment seems to be this. If I'm just trying to be precise and, and steel man, uh, those uh, with whom I disagree, um, instead of facing the dilemma, which is often fight or flight, uh, what if we could do both? What if we could do both of those things? What if we could, what if we could fight and fly, so to speak? Um, and, and the way Joel puts this is, is, what if we could fight by flight? Maybe there's a, a mode uh, by which we might fight the depravity of blue states by fleeing blue states all right is the is the sentiment now let me read you a kind of a lengthy block quote that i have here from Joel Webbin of Right Response Ministries it comes from the same article that i've just mentioned he says this we often speak of the choice between fight or flight but what if it were possible to do both what if it were possible to fight by flight towards the end of last year ben shapiro and the daily wire recently moved out of los angeles to relocate to nashville tennessee ben shapiro personally chose to relocate to Florida. What if Christians and other hardworking conservatives chose to follow their example? Uh, And uh, I have more to to read from him here in a moment, but I would just like to to stop and and think about this for a moment. When considering the actions of Christians, probably your first go-to shouldn't be uh, an unbelieving um, Jewish guy that runs a conservative... Uh, talk show. Um, probably the first source uh, or the first example that you should be looking to would be explicitly Christian examples throughout history, if not uh, if not biblical examples or biblical prescriptions why Joel immediately thinks of Ben Shapiro and what the Daily Wire just did uh, under the leadership of of not only Ben Shapiro but that other guy that uh, Jeremy um, Jeremy boring, I think his name is uh, who who actually is the CEO of of the Daily wire. why why Joel's first thought is what those guys are doing, and how we ought to maybe follow their example is, is beyond me. But he goes on. He says, what if collectively we had the power to bring an entire state like California to its knees? Again, that kind of assumes that the goal of the Christian church is to bring political states to their knees. It's not, but uh, by any biblical stretch of the imagination. And then he goes on. I am confident that Ben Shapiro did not choose to leave L.A. because he simply gave up the fight. He was born and raised in L.A. and has spoken on several occasions of his deep love for the city. Again, why Ben Shapiro matters in this equation is beyond me. I am confident that Ben and his team at the Daily Wire remain as committed as ever to winning the culture war. The only difference is that they believe that they might achieve better results from a more strategic position. They're not choosing to flee as a substitute for fighting. They simply realize that there is a a legitimate third option, the option of fight by flight. It's always interesting when you have someone, a presuppositionalist like Joel Webb, and appeal to uh, unbelievers as examples for what we should do as churches or as individual Christians and families. And so in this case, what you have is you have a a secular example essentially guiding the actions and determining what's most wise for individual Christians, if not whole churches, to do. And uh, the interesting thing uh, about that for me is uh, there seems to be no concept of biblical ecclesiology, the doctrine of ecclesiology, and then the doctrine of the regulative principle of worship, uh, which is to say that, you know, Scripture prescribes the structure of the church, and Scripture prescribes uh, our uh, manner of worship. And none of that seems to figure into this particular equation. And so when you're talking about whole uh, holistic kind of uprooting of life, uprooting of churches, even dissolving of churches in some cases. If you had a whole congregation in Sacramento or Los Angeles that decided to split ways, you're talking about the dissolution of an entire local church. And so, uh, which, which is not without the realm of possibility if you had a, a bunch of people, you know, take this position in a given area. And so you're talking about Christ's church here, the dissolution thereof, uh, as a result of people just desiring to go their own ways and, and find their own states where they can feel more comfortable. Um, and, and, and the fact that really, essentially, and substantively, no scripture plays into that equation is extremely troubling. So here we're, desi- we're, we're actually deciding the destiny of local churches without considering a substantial interaction with the witness of Holy Scripture or even the witness of of Christian history, for that matter. Um, And so the thought is, in Joel's mind, uh, again, going by what he has said, this is what I gather, the thought is that the vacuum left by the absence of Christians in a place like California, for example, is going to, at the same time, create subsequent social, moral, and economic voids which will end up paving the way eventually for a comfortable Christian return and, quote-unquote, conquest of the same place. So let's back out a little while, wait till it collapses, wait till it falls on its face, wait till things turn around, and then we'll move back in. Um, I I would just like to say that one group in our society that has chosen that strategy has been the, uh, the political left, and the, uh, the LGBTQ movement. Um, you have these massive city centers. Uh, for example, in, in, in Kansas City, uh, Crossroads, downtown Kansas City are, you know, uh, provide significant amounts of gravitas for what goes on in our city and the kind of nightlife and and even uh, the kind of businesses that move in, and, and other people built those places. And, and you could say conservatives built those places. What the left seems to do is they seem to just kind of slowly move into an area when they're able to, and then they just kind of take it over, culturally speaking. And even when it comes to the businesses, they just kind of take it over, and and they, they make it their own. And so, I, you know, and it's kind of this this passive idea of you know let's let's kind of move into this area when we're able to move into it and we'll take it over and we'll make it our own. So when the conservatism becomes soft enough, we can move into it and kind of make it our own. Now this isn't a political episode. I'm not I'm not trying to make this about left or right or uh or compare Christianity to what the left does to say Christians shouldn't do this or Christians should do this. Um, but what I am trying to point out is the irony of this this seems to be a strategy that has existed uh, in groups of unbelievers um, and, and is not characteristic of the kind of proactive Christian culture that characterizes the history of this country. Um, so again, the thought is that if the Christians leave a vacuum, political, economic, moral, um, social, so on, then that area is going to collapse and the Christians will be able to move back into it. Uh, again, biblically, this doesn't seem to be a strategy that's even on the table. Um, and I don't think it's a strategy that you can find by way of example or by way of explicit commandment in the New Testament. Um, and and, and de- certainly not in the Old Testament. Um, what what further complicates this situation is of course the language of persecution and so the language of persecution is being used in relation to blue states generally but especially in regard to california so sometimes in order to justify this uh, uh, approach um you will hear those who adhere to it uh, invoking historical instances of Christian persecution, where Christians fled and were displaced as a result of said persecution, and 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 people will say things like, proponents of this view will say things like, "Well, you know, uh, Christians, you know, just before 70 A.D. the Roman conquest fled to Pella and therefore preserved their lives," or you will uh, hear about you know reformers uh, fleeing certain places in Europe as a result of. Uh, pressure, persecuting pressure from uh, Roman, the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th, and 17th centuries, and so they'll invoke these examples, and they'll and they'll basically try to laminate those examples over the situation of Christians in places like California. But we have to ask the question, of course, uh, and the elephant in the room is: Are are those instances of persecution historically even close to what Christians are facing today in U.S. "quote unquote" blue states? Uh, and I would say absolutely not. And uh, the answer to the kind of further elaboration on that, I will, I'll get into here in a moment. But think about that claim for a moment, um, you know, uh, or that comparison. Christians fled, you know, in 70 AD or just before 70 AD in the Roman conquest. Therefore, we should flee today. We should flee blue states. There are several variables that just simply do not line up into a neat little parallel uh, with one another that we have to take into account. We have to say, you know, let's take a pause and, and consider just how misaligned those two examples are. Christians living in blue states today and how they live life and what their experience is. Just ask one of them. Uh, Ask a Christian who loves their local church in a place like Sacramento or Los Angeles or San Francisco, ask them how their lives are, ask them how their church is, um, versus (laughs) what was going on in 70 AD with the Roman conquest or even what was going on in the 16th and 17th century with the Reformation. The Great Ejection in England in the 17th century, and so on, are those instances even close to what Christians are facing today in blue states? And I think the answer has to be an obvious and uh, and a loud no, absolutely not. It's not the same. We'll get into that here in a little bit. What are the but what are the some of the problems that we face with with a a movement like this? Fight by flight. Uh, maybe we can fight. The blue state by fleeing from the blue state. Well, one of the obvious problems I think is that Christians are never commanded anywhere to fight blue states. Uh, we're commanded to uh, obey the Lord Jesus Christ, worship Him, observe His ordinances, and, and then those subsequently act as means whereby Christ adds to His church, grows His kingdom, and so forth. And that's what we're commanded to do. We're never commanded to have these like um, these kind of external or accidental political concerns uh, that relate to circumstantial ni- uh, niceties or not niceties, but circumstantial kind of nuances, um, things, that are, things that are determined by the circumstances and the particular culture at the time. We're, we're not called to be reflexive of these things. All right. Well, so, so that's one problem. But I would say there, there are several distinctions that aren't being made. So if we were just to ask the question, what are some of the problems with the fight-by-flight movement, with the fight-by-flight sentiment, I would say the first thing is there are—it's an oversimplification, and it's an oversimplification because several distinctions are not being made. The first distinction is, I think, descriptive texts in Scripture versus prescriptive texts in Scripture— so, you will have people in favor of the fight by flight sentiment who will say things like, you know, Jesus commanded Christians to uh, to flee to the mountains um, upon the Roman conquest. When the signs of the Roman conquest became, you know, started to become apparent, Christians were commanded, instructed by our Lord, to flee into the mountains. And uh, many Christians fled to, to Pella. And they. As a result, survived. They they avoided the Roman persecution. Um, that's true. But again, you have to. So, for example, that's a specific command given to a specific people, and then uh, the historical description, or even the description of that command given to specific people uh, at a specific time or for a specific purpose, uh, is 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 often. It, is used, when it's used as a a kind of universally applicable commandment to the whole church, those texts are being misused, all right? So texts that are descriptive texts, uh, they are meant for a particular uh, person or person's particular time, particular circumstance. If we were to take those kinds of texts and universally apply them Without any sort of qualification, as commands that apply to us today, or as examples that apply to us today, we would be abusing the text because we're not making the simple distinction between descriptive text versus prescriptive text. Not every descriptive text is a commandment. Not every descriptive text is a moral imperative. Um, so, you know, we see we see fleeing persecution, for example, in Scripture Acts eight, the 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 fleeing of of the Jewish persecution at the hands of Saul. um, We we see Christians fleeing persecution during a particular circumstance, and and we see that description. That doesn't mean that that's a prescription universally applicable to the church at large. Um, So, uh, though fleeing persecution is a circumstantial description of what Christians were commanded to do and what they did in the first century, it doesn't follow that such a strategy is a universal prescription for ecclesiological response to persecution or to political pressure. Right? So we have to we have to make that distinction as we read the text of scripture. We can't just say, "Oh, well, the first century Christians did it, therefore we must do it as well." Uh, house church, you know, house church ideology uh, behaves like that, where, you know, the proponent of house churches Saying now, you know, we should go back to house churches. They would say, well, that's how the first century church did it. That's therefore, that's how we have to do it. Well, they're what they're doing is they're mixing description with prescription. Uh, is it commanded that we have house churches? No. Is it a descriptive reality that in the first century, many Christians worshiped in homes? Well, yes. Does that mean it's a a moral imperative for us to do so? No. Um, the second distinction that uh, the fight by flight sentiment fails to make, or seems to fail to make, I don't want to be too presumptive here, but these descrip these conflation's or uh, uh, the the ignorance of these these descriptions seem to be endemic to the fight by flight mentality. Um, the second one is there's no distinction being made and no uh, observation being made of individual Christians and families. Uh, in distinction from churches. And so oftentimes you have these these encouragements to leave, quote-unquote, blue states. Um, They address the individual Christian or individual Christian families without taking into consideration the churches that those Christians and those families may be a part of. And so it comes as this kind of blanket exhortation, you know, we should we should fight by flight. If you live in the blue state of California, you should leave. But and 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 all of that's couched in terminology of, you know, care and benevolence toward these families that are supposedly being so oppressed in blue states like California, but no thought is actually given to the health of the local churches to which those individual Christians and families belong. And that's problematic. Because again, you know, you look at the New Testament and the concern seems to be Christ's church, right? And Christ's church is. So where is the thought and the consideration of individual churches, local churches, and the health of local churches? Um, scripture was predominantly written to churches, not to individuals and families, as if individuals and families are, quote unquote, Christian, apart from their churches, Um so we we need to throw out the idea of thinking about individual Christians and their families without also thinking of their local churches and the health of their local churches, and I think this is going to cause a great, uh, a, a a great um, kind of pain and struggle in a lot of local churches throughout the country. This whole mentality that's being sold of fight by flight. Well, you guys need to leave your blue states. Well, all of a sudden they withdraw from local churches, and those local churches hurt as a result, Uh, and that's not being addressed. That's not being considered at all, it seems like. The second distinction that's not being made, or that maybe is it more of a danger of not being made, uh, is the advisor versus the advised so uh, the advisor versus the advised might be a distinction that's conflated when people like me push back against those who advise others to leave blue states. But I, but I want to be very clear. So when I, when I push back against someone advertising the fight-by-flight mentality, I want to be very clear as to what I mean. I mean to push back against the person or the group who presumes to be an ecclesiological authority in the lives of individual Christians and individual families, such that they can override or undermine the order of local churches to which those individual Christians or individual families belong. In other words, I am addressing people who are wrongly, I would say, encouraging Christians to leave otherwise healthy churches in order to leave blue states. I'm addressing them I'm not addressing individual families or individual Christians who, according to conscience, do decide to leave their churches for whatever reason. Um, So a person encouraging a person to break fellowship with their church from afar, like through an internet ministry. If I was sitting here saying, you know, you should leave your church because that church is in a blue state. If I was doing that, um, I am very different. Uh, and in a very different circumstance and position than a person who has the liberty to relocate their family according to conscience. On the one hand, the person who's encouraging other Christians to leave their churches is doing violence to those churches, it seems like that they're that they're actually doing something that is is harming those churches whereas you have maybe an individual christian or an individual family who according to conscience and they work this out with their pastor and they do it within the context of their congregation they relocate somewhere else for whatever reason work or what else whatever else that's a very different circumstance so as i push back against fight by flight I'm pushing back against those who think themselves to be not only adequate, but they think themselves to be in a position to be able to undermine other local churches who are going to suffer the loss of those families or individual Christians who choose to leave because of the advice they gave through a YouTube channel or a podcast. So we have to make the distinction between the advisor and the advised. Uh, Those who are advising Christians to do this, I think, are, uh, are sinning, by undermining the order and the institution of the local church commanded by Christ through his word. I don't think that they're in the position to be able to advise Christians to leave blue states and, by extension, leave their local churches, thereby creating not only a vacuum in the blue state, but a vacuum in Christ's church, Uh, a church who presumably needs those families and those individual Christians. So what's the priority here? Is the priority to change the state— or is it to have healthy churches? And it seems like with 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 Joel Webin and others, the priority is to change the state by virtue of the Christians' flight, rather than to maintain healthy churches within the state. But I think as Christians who are living a New Testament life, our priority should be the health of local churches, the health of the church at large, which can't be healthy if its local churches aren't healthy. So if you have perfectly healthy local churches in Los Angeles, San Diego, uh, Sacramento, San Francisco, and you're, you're, you're encouraging Christians to leave the state because it's blue, then really what you're doing is you're encouraging the detriment of those healthy churches there. And I think that shows a misalignment of priorities, and I think that's dangerous because what we do to Christ's people, we do to Christ himself. All right. The other distinction that I think is very important to consider is persecution versus problematic policy, political policy, persecution versus problematic political policy. The two are not the same thing. And whereas you have problematic and grievous political policy in places like California, um, this has been the norm. Uh, And and to think that that amounts to persecution, I think, just results from uh, a kind of uh, American idealism. So, to speak. So, it seems both biblically and historically, Christian persecution occurs when actual persecution occurs when Christian lives are at stake and the gospel and right worship are successfully suppressed or reduced without the possibility of fruitfulness. I think that's a definition you have to come away with. Now, none of that obtains for California at present, not even for California. And I, I would say that no blue state in the United States meets that criteria for persecution. If persecution just is what occurs when Christian lives are at stake and the gospel and right worship are successfully suppressed or reduced without the possibility of fruitfulness, then California doesn't even come close to meeting the bar. Why? Because there are healthy churches in California. There, are, Those healthy churches are growing in California. Uh, there are baptisms happening in California. Um the, the, the proliferation of the gospel is occurring in California. Um, and, and so there's, there's fruitfulness of the gospel in California. Uh, there is no successful suppression or uh, reduction of gospel fruitfulness in California. Other than people who move out because they're scared of what the state might do. <laughs> Interestingly enough, those who follow the fight-by-flight advice are those who are going to contribute to the fruitlessness of the churches in California. So it's almost like they're creating the problem they're claiming to decry. Whereas at present, you have several healthy churches in California. I know the pastors of several of them. Um, They're growing uh, spiritually and numerically. Uh, There are baptisms. There are families. uh, and, And so I don't think by any stretch of the imagination you could say there aren't healthy churches in California. But if that's the case, then you would have to admit that encouraging Christians or members of those healthy churches to leave the state results in the detriment of those healthy churches. I think that's a a very dangerous place to be in, in terms of you using your teaching platform to give people advice to leave their healthy church, thereby resulting in the detriment of that healthy church. I think that's very dangerous. Um, So those are some distinctions, four distinctions in total that I think the fight by flight movement does not consider. They don't consider descriptive tax versus prescriptive tax. They don't consider individual Christians and their families versus churches and the health thereof. They don't consider the advisor versus the advised. Uh, The advisor uh, is in a very different position than the advised, the people who might be advised. Uh, And it's, it's a person's liberty of conscience that ultimately determines whether or not they leave a state or whether or not they leave a local church. Uh, and I'm not and I'm by no means addressing those people who, for whatever reason, leave certain places, although I hope they're biblical reasons. I'm more concerned about the advisors, people advising people to leave their local churches. The fourth distinction that's not made is persecution versus problematic policy, political policy. Uh, just because you have problematic political policy, even if it results in discomfort uh, and difficulty. Doesn't amount to the persecution of seventy A.D. the Jewish persecution later on, and then the Roman persecution later on. Nor does it amount to the persecution seen by the particular Baptists in seventeenth in the seventeenth century. Um, and so there's just not enough nuance in this movement. It's more like a bulldozer. We've come up with a uh, an idea. We think it's a good one. We're just going to bulldoze everything until we so that we can get our point across and see the fruition of our idea. And I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. There's, there's a lack of wisdom there, uh, and there's a lack of, of biblical engagement. There's some more problems. There's a biblical problem, a historical problem, a confessional problem. I'm already at 31 minutes here, but uh, let me go through some of these. Uh, the biblical problem, of course, with the fight-by-flight uh, ideology is that while there are examples of Christians fleeing persecution in Scripture— there are no positive commands or anything that would suggest that this is a formal option in terms of ordering New Testament churches. In other words, it's not like it's it's not like fleeing difficult areas is built into the DNA of local churches, and that should give us pause, because that's probably because uh, there's means by which we can live within a state of persecution uh, as New Testament Christians. So uh, New Testament churches persist for as long as the Lord allows them to. If it's a biblical church, if it's a true church, then it goes for as long as the Lord allows it to go. Uh, they don't vacate upon speculation of what might happen in the future in their given area. They don't vacate when they, when they experience the, the slightest bit of political pressure that is contrary to most American sensibilities. They continue to function as a New Testament church for as long as the Lord allows it. Um, and then there are other things, you know, we should expect persecution. Second Timothy three, 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Why should we expect anything else? So is there a kind of persecution that may warrant fleeing? Yes. Uh, but is there kinds of persecution that we can weather as new Testament churches? Yes, there are. Um, and then also according to James, you know, you talk about the kind of post-millennial sentiment of, of, claiming victory and taking dominion. According to James, the devil flees, not us. So James 4, 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, So should Christian churches stand for true doctrine and true worship and thereby reject and and resist the devil and, and wait to see what the Lord does through that? Yes, yes. I think that's a principle that can be derived from that. Uh, it's odd that the post-millennialist or the post-millennialist involved in this particular stripe thereof would disagree with that. Uh, second, or thirdly, Jesus gives beatitude. He gives blessing and happiness in exchange for persecution. Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is happiness given as a result of persecution, interestingly enough. Do we want that happiness? Uh, are we willing to weather a little bit of political pressure and submit to Christ and, and enjoy Christ as we, as we sojourn in these areas that wax and wane in terms of their support of Christ and the gospel? Yes. And then the other thing is, where there are true churches... There is the kingdom, and so again, it's weird, you know, you have this whole kingdom building thing and post-millennial eschatology where, you know, we're, we're expanding the kingdom through means of the proclamation of the gospel and our political activism and so on. But we have to understand that where there are true churches, there the kingdom is also. You think about the description of the people of God. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in Colossians 1.13. So if there are true churches full of true believers who've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom, then the kingdom exists where true churches exist. And if the kingdom exists where true churches exist, then people should not be encouraging the detriment of those true churches. Otherwise, you encourage the detriment of the kingdom. But I thought post-millennialists were to be encouraging building the kingdom and preserving the kingdom. Right? So it's so it's counterintuitive. This, this whole idea of fight-by-flight is so counterintuitive. It does not take into consideration ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, the integrity of the local church, and the significance of its health and its well-being. So many problems here. There's the historical problem. Um, multiple persecutions in church history. We all know that. Uh, but those which resulted in diasporas, those which resulted in Christians fleeing into other places, were those which directly threatened lives through coercing worship, condemning the gospel on pain of death, and so on. There are two examples of this. One is Acts eight. We've already brought that up one time, uh, where there's the Jewish persecution. Um, the Jewish persecution. The Jewish persecution, of course. Fleeing became necessary because this is the only place where the church, which is the steward of the gospel, exists. And so uh, it was pretty important that the gospel move beyond the walls of Judea. And so it was crucial in the providence of God that there be flight from the Jewish persecution. Otherwise, we'd have no gospel today. So that that was a unique historical situation. I would even say that the flight at 70 AD was a unique historical situation uh, in that Jesus specifically commanded that flight for the well-being of of Jewish Christians at the time. And so that was a unique situation as well. Um, There is also uh, the pilgrim flight uh, from England to Holland, which resulted from coerced worship at the hands of a state church, which is by no means occurring in California or any blue, blue state in the United States at the moment. Freedom to worship, according to conscience, became impossible for the pilgrims in England, and so they sought flight to Holland, eventually coming to uh, the Plymouth Plantation. But you have William Bradford, who writes and describes his reasons for leaving and directing his his uh, his people to leave. He says this. Yet seeing he's writing in third person, by the way, but he is talking about himself and the others that were with him. Yet seeing themselves thus molested, and that there was no hope for their continuance thereby, by a joint consent they resolved to go into the Low Countries where they heard freedom of religion for all men, as also how sundry from London and other parts of the land had been exiled and persecuted for the same cause and were gone thither and lived at Amsterdam uh, and in other places of the land. That's on Plymouth Plantation, uh, page 10 of my edition, which I actually got at Plymouth Plantation when I was there. And so there you have his explanation for why they left. Did they leave because there was some iffy things going on in England. No, they left because it was actually impossible for them to worship according to conscience. And I would say that, you know, if you're in California and you cannot have a biblically constituted church, then yeah, leave, go somewhere else. Uh, You and the other Christians whom you worshiped with should leave. You should find somewhere to establish a true biblical church because you can't do it within the state confines of California. But at present, that's not the case. That's just not the case because there are biblical uh, gospel churches in California. Um, the other thing you know that's not talked about very much is that fleeing comes with its own risks and, and this was especially true for those who who fled in the 17th century. Um, it was thought that you know that that, that, that fleeing, England at that time was a case intolerable and a misery worse than death, William Bradford writes. And uh, so what about the difficulties of fleeing? You know, And I know right now in our American situation, which is very unique, you have the option of fleeing to, to states that are perhaps a lot more comfortable than something like California or uh, New York or something like that. Um, but we have to remember that if we're grounding our... Our, our current or contemporary flight in historical instances, our situation is much more different than theirs. I think their situation shows us that they were not fleeing because of mere political pressure, because, in fact, where they fled to wasn't necessarily any better in that regard. They were going to live in a place where they spoke a different language. Uh, they couldn't perform commerce as easily. It was more difficult to raise children in some cases. Um, there was, in, in ways, there were there was more depravity, uh, and so uh, they're, they're not fleeing there for a, a mere increase in comfort and freedom of movement, so to speak. They're fleeing there for a very specific purpose, and that is to be able to observe the regulative principle of worship according to conscience. And it came with its own difficulties. It came with its own risks, risks that the current fight-by-flight movement seems to want to get away from. Uh, it seems like the fight-by-flight mentality wants to get away from these various risks that come with living in a state like California. But when you look back in history, those who fled were actually embracing the same kinds of risks as they fled and in, this, in the lands to which they fled. And so it wasn't, it wasn't an effort to get away from risks. It wasn't an effort merely to improve their situation; it was an effort to be able to worship according to conscience. And uh, and so it, it, their dynamic differs from ours quite a bit, and it's not nearly as bad here as we think, historically considered. Uh, the other thing is historically, not everyone fled. <laughs> Many in England, for example, during the even during the Great Ejection, they stayed. They didn't flee the country. They remained in England. They preached, worshipped under duress, Um, even during the Jerusalem persecution early on. Not everyone fled. Uh, And I'm not talking about the Roman conquest. I'm talking about the Jerusalem church before the Roman conquest, uh, during the Jewish persecution, uh, at the hands of Saul, later the Apostle Paul. Uh, They... There were some that remained. Not everybody left. Not everybody fled. We know that because when you speed up to Paul's ministry, you find that there's quite a a, a flourishing Jerusalem church that exists after Paul's conversion, after his persecution of the Jews, uh, or of the Jewish Christians, rather. And so, not everyone fled. So it's not like this universal historical norm that Christians flee persecution. Um, it, it's it's the case that in, in in a lot of in a lot of In a lot of instances, Christians actually remained in the land wherein they were persecuted. Um, There's a confessional problem. So we've looked at the biblical problem, historical problem. There's a confessional problem with a five by flight mindset. Um, We have to remember uh, that if we are confessing Baptists, if we are uh, confessing the 1689 in particular, uh, which uh, Joel Webin claims to do, the 1689... Chapter 26, Article 8 is pretty clear that, you know, true churches, local churches, are gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ. And so you have to say that, uh, you know, if you're calling people out of these blue states, you're calling individuals and individual families out of these blue states, you are going to contribute to the detriment of Churches that are gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ, again, a very dangerous thing to consider doing um, chapter twenty six article fourteen These local churches are planted by the providence of God, and so you're going to you're going to contribute to the detriment of those things which are planted by the specific or special providence of God, local churches. You have to remember to to i mean think about all this. Think about everything that's tied into this. To to encourage the movement of Christians who are members of true local churches in quote-unquote blue states is to do nothing but encourage the harm of those true churches, which are established according to the mind of Christ himself and planted by the providence of God. I'm just—brethren, I'm just encouraging you to think. I'm not—you know, I I get quite— worked up about this because I care about local churches. I care about my local church, but I care about local churches across the country, and I think it's ridiculous when local churches suffer because of things that are said online. That's not the Lord's ordained pattern. That's not the Lord's ordained means for the edification of churches. We do not want to do violence to local churches because to do violence to local churches is to do violence to Christ himself. Speaking of his people, Yahweh says in Zechariah two eight, He sent me after glory to the nation to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And if you think about that in relation to the church, you know, if we violate the church, if we hurt the church, we hurt and we harm the apple of Yahweh's eye. Whew very serious and weighty thing to consider. Acts chapter 9 Jesus tells Paul I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Remember Paul's persecuting the churches before his conversion and so Jesus stops him and says I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now Jesus wasn't laying a hand on, on or I mean Paul wasn't laying a hand on Jesus' body his resurrected body obviously but yet Jesus still says you're persecuting me. Why? Because Paul is persecuting at the time Christ's body, his his bride, his church, the one with whom he is one flesh, so to speak. Uh, And he says it's hard for you to kick against the goats uh, because he's going to continue building his church anyway. But but let's, let's not fool ourselves. Where is the true persecution here? Is it coming from the state of California or is it coming from those who would harm Christ's local churches through admonishing its members to vacate the premises. If you harm the local churches, are you not persecuting Christ, according to Christ's own words in Acts chapter 9, verse 5? Where is the persecution here? That's, that's a question that I would like to end with. Where's the persecution actually coming from? Because it seems to me that local churches are actually being persecuted in virtue of those who have loud voices on the internet and are encouraging, essentially draining these local churches in favor of moving an entire population of Christians from one part of the country to another part of the country for the sake of improving a part of the country. So they're they're, they're looking to the detriment of local churches in order to improve the health of a state. And 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 to me, that looks like persecution more than anything that's actually going on in California right now, because what what you're actually doing at that point is you are is you are doing things and encouraging things that result in the detriment of Christ's local churches that that would actually do violence to Christ Himself, and and, and how that wouldn't be persecution of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself is beyond me. I think these fight by flight guys have to acknowledge that, and they have to account for it. How can you encourage Christians to lo- to leave true and healthy churches because they live in a corrupt state? How can you do that by any biblical stretch of the imagination, given what we've discussed here? I think that has to be considered. Anyway, guys, I'm going to go ahead and cap it off there. There's much more that could be said. Hopefully this was helpful to at least get your gears turning. You don't have to agree, but hopefully you at least engaged intellectually with this. And it'll help you to consider things that you hear and read online. Um, I would just like to say that uh, there is an August conference, uh, the Victory Con 2023, uh, on confessing the faith. Uh, Dr. Jim Renahan, Dr. Sam Renahan, Steve Meister are going to be there. Again, that's August 9th through 10th. Please go on victorybaptistkc.org to find more information about that. Uh, and you can find the event on Eventbrite as well, so get registered. It's free. Uh, Also, this coming Thursday, the episode, uh, the interview with Dr. James Renahan on Nehemiah Cox's Vindicii Veritatis Drops, so be looking for that. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day.